Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Girls' Room. Don't Welcome to, to The Girls' Room. I'm your host, Marissa Follow Kintama. me on Instagram the Girls at Room The Girls' Room is a safe space where we talk about all things See you next uncomfortable, week for an all new challenging, episode. and oftentimes gross that come along with womanhood. Tune in every week for a new glamorous episode. Welcome back to another episode of The Girls' Room. Today we are joined by Jessica Barr, who is the owner of the Messy Jesse Vintage Shop for Thrifty Girl Summer. So welcome, Jess. Thank you. Thank you. Hello. Um, I am losing my voice a little bit, but I am going to power through it. So my name is Jessica. I am the founder and curator of Messy Jesse Vintage, which is just, as of right now, an online vintage shop. I mostly sell on Etsy. I also sell on this platform called Shop Thrilling. I mostly do clothes from like the 60s to the 90s kind of so everything I sell is 100% vintage it's like pre-2002 I like to say that it's sustainable I feel like in a few years there might something might come out and be like hey all you resellers this is what you're doing wrong but we will change if that happens of course so tell us like what is the inspiration behind Messy Jesse Vintage like why did you get involved in fashion where did the love come from well I've always definitely loved fashion like I think there was kind of this sense when I was growing up that like it was fashion, like that was going to be the career that I went into. I just didn't know how I was going to break into it. I was always kind of intimidated by the industry because you see movies like Devil Wears Prada and you're like, okay, this is terrifying. When I was in school for journalism, I was writing a lot about sustainability. And so my professors knew that I was interested in the environment and stuff like that. So they would always give me articles or like the environmental beat. And I would always write stories about, um, just like how we can be less wasteful and really diving into like the, the bad practices of certain industries. And because I've always wanted to work in fashion, that was the main industry I focused on. So I wrote a lot about fast fashion and how that industry kind of operates in a very secretive but tumultuous way. So I started getting into secondhand shopping and then it kind of just snowballed into, into vintage and reselling. Oh, that's so cool. So something you mentioned is fast fashion. Can you explain to us what that is? Because I feel like some people have a very certain idea in their head of like what fast fashion is and like what brands they are. And then some people have no idea what we're talking about. So just break this down for us. Yeah. So fast fashion is like the H&M and Zara's and Shein's of the world that are just kind of like pumping out almost like I want to say like a hundred seasons a year at this point, even though we only really have like four seasons. So they're like putting weekly drops of clothing on their websites. Um, some are doing multiple drops a week. Like I know she and releases like upwards of a thousand new styles a day. So these fast fashion companies are companies that they make the clothes as cheap as they possibly can so that they can sell them as cheap as they can. And with that kind of practice comes a lot of environmental destruction and also comes with a lot of like human exploitation because when you're trying to make clothes as cheap as possible and then you're trying to sell them for like five dollars a t-shirt it's not really possible to pay someone a livable wage to make a shirt for five dollars so fast fashion companies are basically just all those companies that like they kind of greenwash and they're like oh this is our sustainable line but at the end of the day if you're putting out that many new products a week there's there's no way to be sustainable and to do that like it's just it's not a sustainable practice at all yeah I think that this is something that's really interesting and really coming to light a lot now I feel like with social media because a lot of people are having this conversation but at the same time a lot of people are 
you know, making these videos and inspiring other people to shop there. Like, here's my $20,000 haul from Princess Polly. And here's my 9,000 bathing suits I bought this summer from Shein. (laughs) And it's very problematic because I feel like when I first heard of Shein, someone's like, oh, I got this for $5. And I was like, wow, like, what a steal. That's awesome. That's so great. And it wasn't until like a year later that people were like, your clothes shouldn't be that cheap. That's the problem. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. So I think that it's really great that more people and you included are starting to have this conversation to educate people. Yeah, definitely. And I think like social media is a great platform for it. Unfortunately, there are all of the halls. But I was listening to a podcast once and the way that the woman that was speaking put it in perspective is she was like, it shouldn't cost less to buy a shirt than buy a sandwich because buying a sandwich, you walk into the deli and they can make it in three minutes and you have a sandwich, but like buying a shirt, you have to cut the patterns, you have to cut the fabrics. Like there's a lot that goes into it behind the scenes. It, you, we use a lot of water creating clothes. Um, we use a lot of dyes. So I always kind of like that comparison because if you, if you consider what you are buying in terms of what it's worth financially, I think that it's kind of interesting to consider it through that lens because the work that's put into it is so much more. But I do want to say also that I don't ever want to tell someone who is experiencing like low income that they shouldn't buy fast fashion. That's what they can afford. If Shein is what you can afford and that's how you buy clothing because you don't have the option to buy sustainable brands where it's like $60 for a t-shirt, that is okay. Like that makes sense. But for the people that do like $700 Shein hauls, like the Princess Polly hauls you're talking about, that's the stuff where it becomes really damaging because we just don't need that much in our closet at all. Mm -hmm. And it's always like the people who can afford like the sustainable stuff, like all of these like influencers on like TikTok and Instagram and YouTube where I'm seeing this and I'm like, you have so much money, like so much money, go and buy the real stuff, okay? Please, you don't need to encourage us all to do this when you have the means to shop better. Yeah, of course. And it's like, you're living in a mansion in LA and you also have brands sending you free shit. Like you don't need to be doing these hauls. You don't have to do them. Yeah. And like you said, no one needs that many clothes. Like that's the thing, like we talked about, we have four seasons. Some people kind of have less than that, but we don't need that many clothes in the first place. So I feel like that's like a great way to start being sustainable is not buying the entire store all the time. (laughs) Like every time there's a new job, you just go on and buy everything that you think would look cute on you. Because then also we have so much waste with clothing. Like people will buy all these clothes online and they come and they don't fit them the way they fit the model or, you know, it's just, it's not made or it doesn't look the way you thought it was going to look. And then it just either sits in your closet or like when I go to thrift stores now, I see so much Shein. It's, all I see. And I see a lot of brands like Free People and H&M, but I think because I have always seen them in thrift stores, I'm a little bit more desensitized to that. But when I see Shein in thrift stores, it's weird because when you're selling a shirt online for like three to $8, like what is the resale value of that? Thrift stores can't even really make money off of that. Yeah, exactly. I think that it's really interesting that you brought up the point, like when you're buying something online and you get it, it doesn't always look the same as it does on the model. But when you're shopping in thrift stores, you don't really have that experience because you're just going in, you're trying on things and you don't have to compare it to other models wearing the same clothes. Yeah. And it's also interesting because 
I like I know when I thrift, I'm always drawn to things that maybe aren't necessarily on trend. Like it looks like something your grandmother might might wear. Yes, I <laughs> love that. When you when you like see it in person and you touch it and you're like, oh, this is really soft. It's really well made. Like let me try it on and you like the way it looks on. It's it's way more special than just buying something because you felt influenced by it rather than buying something because you had an experience with it in person and you're like, yes, I will wear this. I like it. I think it'll last a long time. This is a good addition to my wardrobe. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I love that. And I'm kind of curious, like, how do you go about thrifting? Because, like, I go to thrift stores and I find literally garbage bags. And then you go to thrift stores <laughs> and you look like you're about to walk on New York Fashion Week runway. So, like, what do you do? Like, what are your tips when it comes to thrifting? Um, I definitely would say if you are someone who doesn't have good thrift stores around you, because they're not always great. Consignment stores are really good. Online stores like ThreadUp and Poshmark and Depop are great. I use Etsy. And then also a little life hack is that yard sales are amazing for buying secondhand clothing because it's so cheap. I went to a yard sale a few weeks ago and I got two skirts and I brought them up and the woman was like, all right, just give me a dollar. <laughs> like, okay, this is perfect. But I think that if you go to a thrift store with something in mind that you know you need rather than, I mean, if you want to go to shop, just shop too. But for me, I find it really helpful to go knowing that I needed something specific. And then when I get there, I'm able to look for that piece and kind of like find dupes of it or find things that kind of align with it. And then I'll, I'll take that. Okay. Yeah. I feel like you also just need like a lot of patience too, because I go and I find my garbage. Yeah. I'm like, all right, I'm never going thrifting again. I'm over it. <laughs> but like you go time and time again and like come out successful a lot of the times. Yeah. Patience is key. That is for sure. Another thing that I think is interesting about shopping in person versus online and like versus fast fashion is that the sizing is a lot different because when you're like buying online, you have no idea what size you're going to end up with. A size four could equal a size 10, a size two could yeah. equal a size 25. Like you don't know, but when you're thrifting, like that's totally different. Yeah. And there's also, I think we talked about this briefly is like the size deflation aspect of fast fashion where they know that women have been brainwashed to think that we need to be super tiny. So when you walk into a store and a pair of pants fit you and they're like a size 12, and then you walk into another store and the same pair of pants fit you in a size eight, you're probably going to buy the size eight just because it gives you a better peace of mind. And brands have been able to acknowledge that we will do that. So that's why sizing is so off in women's clothing too, is it's very intentional. It's all about messing with our minds and our body image and saying like, hey, you're tinier in our store. So buy this here. When in reality, like who cares? Oh my God. <laughs> it doesn't but matter. I never even like put it in perspective that way. I was just like, these people are all stupid who are making these clothes <laughs> because they can't get their shit together and get it on the right yeah. size. But it's so upsetting that like people have the power to make us feel comfortable in our bodies and make us feel confident, but instead are using it to make us buy their clothes and they're all messing with our heads and like, it's fucked. Yeah. And it's interesting because fashion has this narrative of like empowerment and we want you to feel comfortable, confident, but at the same time, they're doing things like that. So like, that's another thing I really like about secondhand shopping is getting away from that, like getting away from the influence that mainstream fashion has, I've really been able to be more comfortable in my own body because I'm no longer buying things because I think it's cool to wear them. I'm buying things because I'm like, 
this is functional for me and my day to day. And I don't need to wear a bra as a shirt because I don't feel comfortable in that in public. So getting away from mainstream fashion has helped me kind of just dress more intuitively and be like, you know what, this is what I feel comfortable going out public in. So this is what I'm going to wear. Oh, I love that you bring up that point because I feel like it is really hard to like keep up with the trends because things look completely different on certain people than they do on my body, right? We all have different bodies, all have different shapes, sizes, and curves. And whenever I try to like fit in on like the trends, I'm like, this just doesn't look the same on me, but everyone's like, this is the outfit. This is cute, but I don't feel comfortable in it. And it was so forced, but the point of clothing is should be to be comfortable in your own skin and feel confident and just feel great in what you're wearing. Yeah, exactly. And it makes it more fun too. And it's also just like, you can be way more creative when you're approaching clothing that way. Like I think right now with social media, we have a huge influx of people wanting to be influencers. So everyone's kind of like doing the same thing, wearing the same thing, buying the same thing. Cause they're like, Oh, this is what all like the cool girls are doing. Uh, but there's like this, this is so dramatic to apply to outfits and fashion but you know that quote that's like you're never going to influence the world by being like (laughs) I always think of that because you know if you want to make people feel comfortable in their own skin and you want to promote this idea of like fashion as a means of body positivity and as a means of becoming comfortable in yourself telling people to wear the same things that everybody else is wearing isn't going to do that because a lot of people don't have access to it and like you were saying, it's just, we all have very different bodies. So if one person looks amazing in something and I don't look amazing in that now, I'm going to feel like a failure. Yes, exactly. So I really love now that certain brands and some brands are really kind of like putting this approach of like, we want you to express yourself however you want. And we want you to feel comfortable. It's about art. It's about love. It's not about just fitting in with everybody else. Yeah, It's really great. And there are a lot of influencers that like secondhand fashion influencers that I follow that are really great for this kind of stuff too, because they'll do Q and A's on their stories and they will even like, people will say, I want to be an influencer. How do I do it? And they will say like, stay true to yourself, have to stay true to yourself. Don't do what you see online because you think that's going to be the key. Like people love authenticity. Exactly. It's really funny because a lot of times I just wear things again for comfort. I'm like, if I feel comfortable in this, sometimes I don't even give a shit what it looks like. And my whole family, they're like, what the fuck are you wearing? Like, what is this outfit? This is horrendous. You're not matching. But I'm like, but internally, I feel great. I feel so comfortable that I don't even care what's outside. So I love being able to express myself in that way. Yeah, it's fun. And also, I feel like I don't match like 95% of the time. (laughs) But I feel if you wear something confidently, it's like, all right, she looks, she appears to be confident. So I guess it's working. Exactly. And then it will just catch on. Like I watched this HBO series, The College Lives of Sex Girls. I don't know if you've seen it, but the main character, Bella, her outfits were chaotic. Like there were 19 (laughs) different patterns. There were so many different colors. And I would watch the show. I'm like, she looks so good because obviously she's a character and she's acting, but like she was so confident, like projected this like self-love and confidence in every outfit that she wore. And I was like, wow, like I want to feel that confident in my clothes that don't match and that look crazy. Yeah, exactly. And I do think the right outlets, like so funny you bring up that show because I did watch that show and I thought the same thing. There are like certain mini series and shows and like little niche things that are promoting this idea in fashion. I just think 
generally like the, the conformity rises to the top. But it is funny because if you start to pay attention to it, you will see that like even though it's not overtly spoken about, there are a lot of outlets that are promoting like, no, just be yourself, wear what you want to wear. Who cares if you match? Just have fun with it. Like fashion is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be a little bit chaotic and creative. So do whatever you want to do. Exactly. And I love to now, there's a lot of conversation and a lot of brands really kind of disregarding the gender norms when it comes to clothes. Like this isn't just women's clothes. This isn't just men's clothes. Anybody can wear any clothes. And I love to see that because again, it just promotes this idea of self-expression. Yeah, it's great. I actually had someone the other day, it was guy and he asked me to find him a kilt. Like he was like, I just want to start wearing them. I really like them. That's the Irish plaid skirt. I was like, where are you going to wear it? And um, he was like, I don't know. I just like, I think they're really cool. And I kind of want to start promoting men wearing skirts. Like let's normalize it. And it was so cool because he is not the type of person that I would think would break out of that gender norm and wear a skirt. So it was really cool to hear someone that's usually not in that world say it. I'm like, oh my God, maybe this is finally happening. Like maybe we finally are at a point where like men are going to start wearing what they want. Women are going to start wearing what they want. And of course, there's always going to be people judging, but most people will get it comfortable. Yeah, I've been seeing a lot of like big name celebrities doing that, like Harry Styles, Little Nas X. And like most recently, I feel like it was Brad Pitt who was like wearing a skirt on like a red carpet. And like there was like a quote saying it was just a really hot day. So I wanted to wear a skirt. Like, why do I have to put so much thought into this? Like, I just want to wear yeah. a skirt. So I'm going to wear the skirt. Yeah. I mean, I could not imagine going out in a tux on a hot day. <laughs> like, I really couldn't either. So I wear skirts all the time in the summer. I wear like crazy palazzo pants just because that's what's comfortable when it's this hot and we're experiencing a heat wave. So yes. Okay. Wait, let's dive a little bit more into this because I am the (laughs) sweatiest person on the planet and I have such a hard time dressing this time of year because again, I don't always like to wear little mini tops and I really don't like short shorts. So like, how do you dress to stay cool? How do you dress to be comfortable? Like, give me all the tips and tricks here. Yes. I love, like I said, flowy clothes, like a maxi skirt, even a mini skirt that's like a little bit more flowy. Um, Linen is a really great material and so is silk for really hot days. And these are things I find in the thrift stores a lot. Like, I think linen and silk have a reputation of being really expensive and they kind of are, but it is possible to get them secondhand more affordable. Um... So yeah, flowy pants, flowy skirts, like I can never wear a bra in the summer because I just feel like I end up sweating into the straps and then they like, I'm swollen because I'm so hot, they're constricting me. So like if you can get away with not wearing a bra, that has been my easiest life hack. What else? Yeah, my hair is always up. I think for the most part, really light materials, natural materials are always good, except for wool because that's really hot. But um, yeah. Bowie, and then also just a sports bra and shorts if you're lining or like laying around the house. Just be as naked as possible without being naked. Literally, that's what like whenever I go to work, I'm like, okay, how can I look professional but wear the least amount of clothing possible? Yes. So it's always like a loose, flowy dress. Like I just can't, I can't with this heat. Well, even with mini skirts, something too is. I don't even know how to describe these shorts, but like I always have to wear something under skirts. I'm just not very comfortable or like a mini dress too when the wind blows. I don't like to feel like I'm not secure. So I would say if you are the same as me, Spanx are a great thing to invest in and then you can wear 
the miniest of clothes and feel comfortable. Okay. Speaking of Spanx, this got me thinking about Kim Kardashian and her Skims line. So like, what do you think about celebrities starting their own like clothing brands? I definitely think it's interesting. Like as much as I don't support the Kardashians, I feel like the line that Kim did kind of makes sense for her because she is always wearing clothing like that under her dresses. Like she's always in clothes that kind of like suck you in and suck you up. So it kind of makes sense that she released this line. But I feel the same way about celebrities who just randomly start beauty lines. Like they're really just attaching their name to it for the most part. I don't think they have much like creative input going in. Like Hailey Bieber just started a skincare line and I was reading about it and a lot of people were saying like, these are people that don't actually really know about these industries. Maybe Kim probably knows about fashion. I'll give her that. But for the most part, I just think it's celebrities attaching their name to someone and then having everyone else do the legwork, which also can be really damaging because it's like, Kim Kardashian, do you even know your garment workers experience? Like, do you know the factories that your clothes are produced in? Are you asking these questions? Are you like aware of how these factories are run? Are you aware if they have healthcare? Do you care if any of these things are going on? It's not, it's just not like a conscious thing. I think it's just another way to make money for them and stay relevant. Yeah, no, exactly. I agree. The exact same thing. It's a really harsh take I have, but it's just how I feel. (laughs) Honestly, though, it is pretty true. So Something that you were just mentioning is like thinking about like, where are the factories that are making your clothes? Thinking about the worker. So like, what are some other things that you need to think about when you are shopping and when you are buying clothes? Like sustainability, thinking about the workers, yeah. but like, what's some other things? I think there's two, like if you're someone who wants to start approaching fashion in a more conscious way and like not really supporting fast fashion, I have two driving forces that kind of like keep me on track with that. And one of them is thinking about the poverty aspect of it. and a lot of these women and children working in these factories, they can't form unions. They don't have health care. They're living in really dangerous conditions, working in factories that are like the codes aren't kept up on. So they're not really getting like the standard of the workplace that we're given. And a lot of people will argue that and say, um, they're also making really low wages. And a lot of people will argue that and say, well, they're living in, you know, these underdeveloped countries. They don't need to make maybe a hundred dollars a day like we do. They don't need these fair wages, but kind of you have to ask yourself, like, are the people that are making your clothing not deserving of the same standard of living that you are? Because yeah, they're living in these underdeveloped countries and making these clothes, but they're like, it's staying this way because we allow it to stay this way. The industry is very conscious of the fact that if I outsource to factories in Bangladesh, I can get the cheapest made clothes because I know that their workers are making maybe $10 a day. Whereas if I make these clothes here in America, there's labor laws. (laughs) And like, it's really easy to kind of dismiss the responsibility of avoiding labor laws if you're operating in a factory in another country because they don't have complete control over what goes on there. They just sign contracts. So that's one aspect that keeps me on track is like, the human exploitation aspect of it and the kind of like persistent poverty aspect. And then another thing to consider is the environmental aspect. Um, I don't think people really know how much water and natural resources go into making clothing. I don't think people really know the toxic waste that's just like dumped into the drinking sources, the water sources for a lot of people in these countries. So the poverty and the environmental aspects definitely intersect a lot when you really consider like what it takes to make an entire line of clothing, both in terms of 
water resources, um, synthetic fibers, which don't break down. It's really easy to realize that like, this is lasting destruction. Like we have landfills full of clothing and what happens when you have landfills full of polyester, that is a material that doesn't really break down. So I think finding that driving force for yourself and why you want to start making more conscious choices and doing research on the questions that you have. Like if you're curious about anything I'm saying and you research it, chances are you're going to find things you don't like, unfortunately. So I think when approaching fast fashion, it's, it's important to like really ask yourself about the production chain and about the garment workers that are making your clothes. Oh my gosh. Okay. You make so many great points and you're so educated on this. So like, where can people like research this? Where do people go to learn more? If you are someone who doesn't like reading long form articles, there's a lot of really great TED talks on this. There's also a documentary called The True Cost, which it was made a few years ago. And I think that some of the brands that they talk about have been making changes in the industry. I don't necessarily know that they're making changes fast enough, but it's important to go into that documentary knowing that that is not exactly how things are still playing out. It's relatively close, but those are two really great resources. I listen to the Business of Fashion podcast a lot. The online site ThreadUp does a yearly report that has a lot of really great information in it. And then I follow a lot of sustainable fashion bloggers. A lot of people are trying to do this research for us so that we don't have to dive into it. Like the reason I have all of this information is because I spent like three years in college writing about all of this stuff. So it took a lot to kind of really realize like, oh my God, I need to change the way I consume clothing. I was also like the craziest shopper for a really long time. So I felt like I had to make a change. But yeah, there's a lot of really great resources. I think the True Cost documentary and TED Talks are a really good place to start because they're interesting. And, you know, there's like a visual aspect to it, which I think helps people pay attention a little more. Yeah, definitely. One of when you were talking about different accounts, the one account I thought of immediately is Diet Prada. They (laughs) roast people on the fashion world. It is insane. Like that's where, I don't know, maybe someone shared it. Honestly, you might have been the one to share it. And from there, I've like learned so much, like things that I never even would think about, things that would never even cross my mind. Yeah. And when it's presented to you in like a clean, precise, easy way to digest, Diaprata is an amazing platform. It's run by people who usually have worked in the industry and were just completely turned off by it. So I think it's run by more than one or two people, or at least like the torch has been passed along. But yeah, they roast Shein and fast fashion all the time. And I love it because another thing people don't really consider with fast fashion is how often they steal from small designers, like just totally rip off designs. When these big brands are stealing from small designers, like obviously a small designer doesn't often have the financial means to fight back. So it's kind of just really disheartening. And then because a lot of people maybe don't know about that designer or, you know, a company is selling something for literally 5% of what someone who handmade it is selling it for, it's a lot easier for that piece to kind of infiltrate. Yeah. I've actually seen that a lot with the types of clothing, like crochet tops and stuff. I have seen people who like hand make them who are saying how much time, how much effort goes into it. But then fast fashion markets are like busting the shit out, like so easily, so underpriced and they're losing business. Like people aren't going to buy from them when their clothes are $150 because it's so worth it. Versus like say at Walmart where it's like for $20. Yeah. And also with 
like different weaving techniques like crochet and knitting, it's really hard to get machines to do that. So it's, it's still a human doing it. Usually it's still a handmade garment that you're just getting way cheaper. And that should tell you like, okay, if my friend who crochets sweaters has to sell them for X amount of money to make a profit, how is this fast fashion brand also having a human being make that by hand and selling it for way, way, way cheaper. I actually, I did a flea market a couple months ago and the girl that was set up next to me made crochet sweaters and handmade all that stuff. And um, I was like, oh my God, your prices are so low. Like I was, these are beautifully made sweaters and products. I was expecting them to be way more. She's like, yeah, well, I have to sell them a little bit cheaper just because people do see them so low priced in fast fashion stores that they often will opt for that option instead of hers. And it was just so heartbreaking because I'm like, how long did, like I picked up one sweater and asked her how long it took her. She was like, yeah, it took me a full two days to make that. And she had it selling for like $60. I'm like, $60 and two days do not equate. It didn't make sense to me. It felt so terrible. Oh my gosh. That is so crazy to think about like that. They have to compete with all these different markets. I feel like that could even be true for not even just like the fashion industry, like plenty of other industries as well. Like, yeah. Yeah. I think overproduction and like mass consumption are something that you can apply to any industry. And like, I follow a girl who talks a lot about food and the over or the mass production of food. And she's like, just grow your own food. (laughs) She was like, at the end of the day, like shop your food locally, go to farmer's markets. But it's funny because a lot of the points that she'll bring up with food are things I consider with fashion. And it's, we just have so much in the world right now. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely a lot. And it's upsetting to see small businesses in like farmer's markets and things like that, like not being shopped at, but people will go to other sources. And I get it. Things are priced differently and stuff. Like I understand that, but yeah, it's still just really sad. Yeah, it's it's tough. But I think the more we all like educate ourselves on these things and realize that oftentimes like supporting the other side of things that we haven't really been supporting recently is financially better and easier to get a hold of. So I think the more everyone just kind of like opens their eyes to it, we 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 still got hope. We just see people like us talking about it all the time. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So do you have any final tips when it comes to thrifting or any last resources or anything that you would like to leave us with today? Yeah, I think, I guess I'll leave a tip for people who want to start getting into thrifting and secondhand more. Um, Definitely utilize online sites. If you see something on a fast fashion website, like really pay attention to the keywords and just type those keywords in on Depop or Poshmark. And oftentimes you'll find something really, really similar like descriptions of the pattern or the print are really good to pay attention to because once you type that in, like resellers are very conscious of the keywords that they use. So that can help you if you don't have the patience or even the time to go do in-person thrifting. Oh my gosh, that's such a good tip. You have your online store, so you can follow Jess at Messy Jessie on Instagram. You can visit her Etsy site, etsy.com slash, slash, oh my gosh, take two. You can <laughs> visit her Etsy store at etsy.com slash Messy Jessie Vintage. And you said that you had another shop that you sell from too. Can you tell us about that one? Yes, that is, it's the same name. It's still Messy Jessie Vintage. The platform is called Shop Thrilling. And the real difference between that and Etsy is like Etsy also has a lot of handmade stuff. Thrilling is just 
specifically vintage clothing and vintage home goods. So I sell them both. I list the same products, but you know, double exposure. Oh, that's awesome. So everyone make sure to follow Jess. You're going to learn so much. You're going to see killer outfits. Like when I'm telling you that Jess is a fashion icon, she is a literal fashion icon. So thank you so much for coming on today and sharing all your wisdom with us. And I really appreciated this conversation. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Girls Room. Don't forget to subscribe, leave me a review, and follow me on Instagram at thegirlsroom underscore pod. See you next week for an all new episode.